Hello and welcome to a Thursday episode of the State of the Nova Nation. I'm Eugene Rapay. He's Chris Danziel. Kind of messed up this morning. Kind of forgot that I had a pretty big meeting that required me to come to work early, come to the office early. Fortunately, this won't be an hour-long segment, but we didn't want to leave you guys hanging without talking about some of the action coming up between the Super Bowl, a couple big men's basketball games, a rematch for women's basketball. So this is going to be the men's and women's basketball preview power hour, probably going to be more like a half hour, but this will just be a preview heavy episode. We talked about last time how none of these games are pretty much happening until this weekend, with exception to the Crane game tonight. So we're just going to jump straight into the previews, talk about what to expect from these games this weekend. First up, we got Crane tonight. This is one of two teams that we have yet to see this season. The men's basketball team, you know, I'll be honest, when Justin Patton left and you knew that Maurice Watson Jr. wasn't coming back, I knew that Crane was going to be okay. Like, I had a feeling they'd be okay, but not as good as they have been. They've been pretty solid. They've been hovering in and out of the polls, 17-5. and They're a nice, solid team. Chris, what sticks out to you about this Creighton Blue Jay squad for when they come to the Wells Fargo Center tonight? Yeah, before diving into the roster, I completely agree with you. I didn't think Creighton would be that good. Like, I didn't even think they would be in the polls at any point in the season, but they've been in and out, like you said, hovering around the low 20s. They've been led by Marcus Foster. He's having an absolute phenomenal season, averaging 19.9 points per game, just a hair under 20, and he's shooting over 50% from the floor. When compared to last year, he was only shooting 46%. And I think the rise in his scoring is mainly attributed to his three-point shooting percentage. He's shooting nearly 45% from deep, which is an increase from 34% last year. He's just playing out of his mind, and you kind of saw it last year when Mo Watson Jr. went down that Creighton really needed someone to step up. And yes, you had Patton, but as a center, you can only do so much, I felt like. So you needed really that guard presence to really get things going. And Marcus Foster filled that role admirably, and now this year he has risen to new heights. Additionally, you got Kyrie Thomas. We talked about it a lot last year, how great of a defender he was. But now this year, he's kind of blossomed into an offensive presence, averaging just under 15 points per game, shooting over 50% from the floor. So it's really those two guys for Creighton that really get everything going. But I just want to make mention, I don't know if anyone else saw it. I'm pretty sure people have. But yeah, Creighton did suffer another big injury this year with Martin Kroppel. He was averaging around 12 points per game as a big man. You know, he was a great inside presence and a great way to replace Patton. Obviously, you can't completely replace what Patton did last year, but he was doing a heck of a job. But he went down with a season-ending injury. So it's really been the Foster and Thomas show. Yes, you got Tommy Hagner inside. Yes, you got Ronnie Harold Jr. as well. And Mitch Ballack as one of the big-time freshmen that Creighton brought in. But Alas, it's really just Foster and Thomas for Creighton, and they've been leading the, the charge for them in a pretty good year so far. I don't think there's enough that can be said about Marcus Foster. He's definitely one of the top scorers in the conference. He is a dynamic talent. Like you said, now that he's unlocked the three-point line this year, he, sh- he shot the ball a lot from deep last season, didn't really make as many as he has this year. This time around, he's just a complete scorer. He can pull up. He can drive inside. He can score from literally almost anywhere on the floor. He's a great offensive talent and fits in very well in this running gun style of offense that Greg McDermott likes to run. 
Creighton will run at you. They're going to go fast-paced, up-tempo, run up and down the court. And I think it's really been a nice big boost to see Kyrie Thomas become a more well-rounded player, not just a defensive specialist. I wrote a preview for viewhoops.com about this game, and it's on live right now. But in it, I mentioned how he's taken a Mikael Bridges type of leap. Two guys that were just mainly known for their defense, really applauded for what they do on that side of the ball. But this season, as we saw with Bridges, he's become a scorer. He's an offensive threat just as much as he is on the defensive side of the ball. And it's the same thing with Kyrie Thomas. He can knock it down from deep. That's not his preferred shot, but he can take it inside, and he's fantastic. He's a pretty solid score and a great free throw shooter. So if you foul him, you can bet on him to knock him down. Looking inside, I feel like Toby Hagner has been there forever. I don't know why or don't know how he's still there. I yeah. I would like to assume he's a senior. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think you're right on that. But, yeah, I, I remember him, you know, like well, pretty much. I thought he was there on the, the Doug teams, to be honest. Yeah, that's what I thought so, too. I don't know if he's doing like a Grant Gibbs type deal where he's like a super duper six-year senior. But he's he's a nice inside presence, one that can also stretch the floor out. Ronnie Harrell's okay. He's been stepping up with Crumple out of commission. But this is a pretty deep team. I like. I really enjoy watching Creighton. I think they just work so smoothly, especially on the offensive side of the ball. They just move the ball well between Foster, who's such a fun talent to watch. He's coming in with four straight 20-point games. That's something that no Creighton player has done since Doug McDermott. He is a dynamic threat. And Kyrie Thomas has just become even more fun to watch, seeing how he can contribute now on the offensive side of the court. One thing to watch for, though, with Crumple out and a very thin Creighton front line, Greg McDermott has now gone to his bench, and he has burned the red shirt of four-star freshman Jacob Epperson. He was a highly touted recruit coming from La Lumiere, which is an Indiana high school basketball powerhouse. Four stars, Australian native. He played in his first game, didn't really do much, only logged nine minutes and only scored two points. We'll see what kind of role he'll have against Villanova. I don't know if McDermott wants to test him that much, but that's certainly someone to keep an eye out for now that Crumple is out. Yeah, I was I was kind of shocked to learn that McDermott decided to burn the, the retro year for Epperson, but you know, that's the breaks. I guess that's what happens when you deal with injuries. And I guess Epperson is really part of a pretty good freshman class for the for the Blue Jays they had they had him they had Tyshawn Alexander Mitch Ballack I mentioned so they had some pretty good recruits coming in for this year and they could be pretty deadly as the as the years go on yeah definitely McDermott's got a pretty good influx coming in seeing how Foster's a senior and you got to imagine Kyrie Thomas he's an upperclassman he'll be on his way out soon also he gets a lot of the attention on the defensive side of the court, much like how Marcus Foster gets a lot of the attention on the offensive side of the court, and it's very well-deserved. But overall, Creighton is a very good defensive squad. I think they're a very good, balanced team. We mentioned how this offense is just as tough as a Marquette squad. They might not have like the two main scorers, but they have a lot of nice pieces around Marcus Foster and around Kyrie Thomas that can really get buckets. But defensively, they're going to be a lot tougher. They're not going to be a slouch like Marquette. They play pretty good defense. They keep the three-point line on lockdown. They have held opponents to shooting just 31% deep, 16th in the nation. They do a great job of not fouling, sending guys to the line. 
One thing, though, even though they are effective on defense, they're not going to generate a lot of turnovers. They don't generate a lot of blocks. So I think Villanova might not have a hard time doing what it wants to do. Something certainly we'd be looking out for. And I loved how you described this team to me the other day when you said that this is basically Marquette that actually tries on defense. That's it's it's just that simple. I mean, they have a great offense. Throw some numbers out there. Creighton's twenty third in adjusted offense, while Marquette's ten. So yeah, Marquette's a little bit better on offense, but the, the defensive discrepancy is almost a hundred spots, with Marquette being one forty four, and Creighton being forty seven. So yes, this is going to be a a different type of team. Creighton's a lot a lot better defensively, obviously, and it this is going to be a, a True test for Villanova, and yes, it's at home, so I think they'll be okay. But Creighton's a good team, so and they're good on both ends of the floor. This isn't a one-dimensional team, so we'll see how they adjust coming off Marquette. This is the first time Creighton and Villanova are actually playing against each other at the Wells Fargo Center since raggy bombs were unleashed on that fateful night in 2014. Do you see a horrible reenactment, or do you think Villanova gets their number in this one? I think Villanova will win this, but if there was a home game that would be a letdown, I feel like it would be this one with it being a Thursday against a, a pretty underestimated Creighton team. I would say this would be the one game that I could see them losing at home this year, but I I think they'll be fine. I think they'll win this 8 to 10 points. Yeah, I think Villanova definitely wins this one. I'd say keep an eye out for Jalen Brunson. He scored 31 points three times this season. The other two times, he followed up with great all-around performances. This time around, I predict that he will pass Dante Cunningham on the all-time scoring list. He just needs 17 to pass the former big man, and I think he's going to get it. I hope so, because if he does pass Dante Cunningham, that means he he obviously had a good game, and that means Villanova should have a good game as a result. So, yeah, um, I'd be hoping for that. Where does that put him on the list? Do Do we know exactly the number? If he passes Cunningham, he will be 37th on the list. Really? That? I don't... Wow. I, I don't know. I feel like that number seems low. It's because he's only played three years. I feel like if, if he were to stay all four, I feel like he would easily be like 2,000-something. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. But I, I'm, I'm saying in terms of Dante Cunningham's perspective. He was, he was oh, a, oh, oh, oh. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, was, I was honestly a little surprised. Chris Jenkins is ahead of Dante Cunningham, too. Really? Yeah, Chris Jenkins is actually the one right after Dante Cunningham. He's got <laughs> 1,383. I guess I could see that. I guess Jenkins was more prone to the more explosive game. Dante Cunningham was more of a consistent double-digit, low-double-digits. But, yeah, no, that's st- – it still seems low to me. I don't know. I think we'll see some JB crossover basketball. I think he'll lead a pretty great, solid Villanova effort for the win. For me, I'll be watching how the two freshmen do, as we talked about last time on Tuesday. They've done better before, and that Marquette game was definitely not telling. They're basically our only sources or any shot of any bench production as long as Phil Booth is out and benched with that hand injury. I think they come back with a much more solid win, and this will be a great test for them, seeing how up-tempo, how offensively gifted, and also defensively gifted Creighton is. This will be a pretty good test for them. And I think Villanova overall as a team will win. I know you said about eight or nine. I see them winning by like 10 or 12. Double digits. Double digits. Not too far, but I think double digits. Fair enough. Fair enough. I get it. Tip-off is tonight at 6.30 p.m. 
If you can't make it, it'll be on FS1. Also, Kaylee Smith will be covering tonight at the Wells Fargo Center for View Hoops. So you can always check the View Hoops live Twitter handle and you'll get your updates minute by minute, second by second on there. After that, we got the highly anticipated game. The Thorn and Villanova side, at least since conference realignment. They weren't able to get to Villanova last year, but they sure gave a scare in the biggest tournament semifinals. We got a date with the Seton Hall Pirates on Sunday. A nice appetizer, a nice lead-in towards the Super Bowl. It'll be a nice excuse for people to consume adult beverages early on Sunday before they go to their Super Bowl parties. And it's probably going to be a very, very good game. Seton Hall took care of business last night against Providence, so they are focused solely on Nova, and they probably have been anyways for like the last six months. Villanova, I'm assuming they're going to take care of business, so I don't think they'll, I don't think they'll be a letdown. I know you mentioned a little bit of a letdown possibility. I, I think they'll take care of business against Creighton, but against Seton Hall is going to be a very interesting game. Pro- I would hope it's packed. I don't think there's any excuse for this game to not be packed on Sunday. Well, if you're a smart Philadelphia sports fan, you would go to this game and then go to Xfinity after and stay for as long as possible before the Super Bowl and then either watch the Super Bowl there and then go to your respective parties. So you would think that it would it would attract some fans, but I, I feel like a lot of people will be occupied otherwise. And I don't blame them. I, if the Packers were playing on Sunday, I would probably not. I probably wouldn't be focusing much on this. <laughs> This game is a 12 o'clock tip-off, 12 noon. So I guess for a Villanova student, it requires some action or some movement at 10.30 a.m. Don't sleep in. Like, don't sleep in. This is such a big game, such a big home game. There aren't that many of these left. Like, come on down on Sunday. The Super Bowl is going to stay there. The Super Bowl, you'll have enough time to enjoy this game before going to the Super Bowl. And this is going to be a slugfest. Seton Hall, we've seen these guys or at least the core trio of Kadeen Carrington, Desi Rodriguez, and Angel Delgado. They've been the thorn on Villanova's side basically for all other three years, and now they're back for their final encore rendition, senior send-off, and this is going to be the first of two meetings against the Pirates. From what I've heard, the one at the Rock is already probably sold out. Seton Hall, they're a team that they definitely play to their competition. We saw them get caught by Rutgers on the road. We also saw them get blown out by Marquette. But they also have had some nice road wins, like going down to the KFC Yum Center in Louisville and stealing one. And then there was that neutral court game against Texas Tech at MSG, where they took them down too. So I think Seton Hall, they play great, they play up to their competition, but they can easily fall down to their competition. But against Villanova, they have a special level just for them. Just for them, just to annoy every Wildcat fan watching the game. And it all starts with Kaneen Carrington, Angel Delgado, Desi Rodriguez, and their fourth member of this fabulous foursome, Miles Powell, the sophomore guard who's really, really taking a big jump this season. Before discussing the players, I want to just talk about something you may mention. Of. You said that Seno has another level when they play Villanova. Well, you know, I would agree with you on, to that extent if the game was at Prudential Center or if the game's at Madison Square Garden for the Big East tournament. Looking back on the matchups at, at Villanova in these, the past few years since the realignment, there, there has not been one close game. I think the closest game was 
15, 16 year, and no, I think Nova won by nine, but like that game didn't feel that close. Whenever Seton Hall comes to Villanova, they get kicked around, kind of like how, how Xavier comes to Villanova and gets kicked around. And we always try to hype up the game because it is two, I would say this is probably Nova's biggest rival right now. So you obviously want to get hyped up for the game, but the games always seem to be a blowout. Is it going to happen this time? I don't think it'll be a blowout, but Seton Hall does not fare very well at Villanova. With with that being said, I feel pretty confident going into this game. I feel more confident about this one than the Creighton one. That's a fair point. I remember when we were discussing last season's matchup at the Pavilion for the Martin Luther King Day marathon that the Big East was doing, that nice, that cool event that they were doing, and where they pretty much just set up all these marquee Big East games, rival versus rival. And they had Villanova Seton Hall, I think, in like the afternoons a lot. And I remember being really hyped for that game, thinking it was going to be fun to watch. It was going to be rocking. I thought Villanova was going to win. But did I anticipate a 30-point blowout? No. You're right. Seton Hall, when they do come to Villanova, it is not a good day for the Pirates. Their ships go down. I think Villanova is going to win this one. I think they're going to win it pretty comfortably. I will say, though, I am most intrigued by the matchup in the front court between Angel Delgado and Amari Spellman, two very passionate centers when they play at their game. They they get hyped. They talk a lot. You see Delgado do his patented flex. You see Omari Spellman running up and down, getting hyped. And I think it's going to be a fun battle of youth versus experience. I think it's going to be a fun one. That's what I'm going to be mainly watching. I don't know about you, Chris, but for me, that'll be the big matchup. And I'm a big fan of both of their games. I've loved Angel Delgado. As much as I despise Seton Hall, I've been a big fan of Angel Delgado since he was a freshman and thought he would be a double-double machine. And surely enough, he that's exactly what he is now. See, I hate Seton Hall probably just as much as you do, but I where we differ is that I am not a fan of Angel Delgado. Um, I'm a fan of him as a player, but anyway. He's averaging a double-double, 13 points, 12 boards. It's just to look at that stat line. It's just amazing, especially in college basketball. I, I feel like not a lot of people in the NBA average double-doubles, let alone in college basketball. It's just an absolutely absurd stat line. Granted, his numbers are down a bit from last year. I think he's averaging 15 points and a little bit more rebounds last year with a better shooting percentage. So he is having a quote-unquote down year, but his down year is still a double-double, which just speaks to how good of a player Angel Delgado is. And yeah, I didn't even think of that. This is the first time Amari will be going up against Delgado, and I completely forgot about how passionate of like players they are. Spellman gets hyped on probably the easiest things, and I, I love that from him. It brings energy to the team, and it makes the games much more exciting to watch. And Delgado, he's... He's always very passionate. Remember last year at the end of the game where he was basically sobbing on the floor due to the, the semifinal loss to Villanova and Josh Hart had to go over and console him in that whole thing. So, yeah, that's definitely the matchup to watch for sure. Yeah, totally. You you brought up how he's had a down year. I think it's just been a result of teams just keying in on him more. I've seen a handful of Seton Hall games for a Big East Coast bias coming for them. And he just gets, as soon as he touches the ball, double team, triple team already at his way. I've noticed that he's actually a pretty solid passer out of the post. So I know Villanova loves to come in with his double teams, help defense, but that might actually come back to bite them. He's pretty good at kicking it out to the open guy at the perimeter, whether it's Desi Rodriguez or Kadeen Carrington, or even worse, Miles Powell, who can actually take and make the three at a consistent basis. Desi Rodriguez, though, he's taken a big step up. Thought he was a little overrated. I thought he was kind of like the third guy in the trio. 
but he's really become their top scorer overall this season, averaging over 17 a game. He's really expanded himself. He's done a little better at the free throw line, which is a place that he really struggled in the past. Draining his threes a little more, but he's still that slasher threat. And as for Kadeen Carrington, I don't know what happened to him. He still gets double digits, but he's really dropped. He's not scoring as high of a rate, but he's still a tough defender, so don't sleep on him overall. But Miles Powell is probably the player that I think is kind of the X factor for this team. To get that fourth player that really comes in and just gets buckets, attacks on fast breaks, can create for himself, can pull up from deep. He has taken such a big jump from his freshman season. He's really impressive to watch, and he's their second high scorer right now. But we've seen this before. It's their MO. After their core group of guys, there is practically no one on the bench. There's Everyone else is just an afterthought. Right. I mean, you have Sonogo who also starts, but he's mainly just there to protect the rim. And he, he does an okay job at that. I think he got suspended early in the year. It was something weird. He, was, he missed a game. But then you have Nezi off the bench. And like you look at the rest of the roster, you, you don't recognize one name. And no one's averaging more than five points outside of the top four and Sonogo, who's averaging 5.1. So not a lot of depth, but the top end guys really know how to get the job done. So I guess that's okay in that regard. But yeah, just to build off your point with Miles Powell, you saw flashes in the pan last year where he would have the open shots, but he wasn't making them, it seemed like. But then toward the end of the year, he started to make more. And you're like, okay, all right, maybe this kid is actually pretty good. And I thought he was very undersold as a freshman. I didn't think a lot of people were talking about him. I was like, wow, this he can shoot threes. This is exactly what this team needs because Desi Rodriguez can only shoot so many threes from the corner, which I think this is like patented shot. So yeah, it, the fact that he's been able to develop a shot and, and to not be able to knock down the clutch threes for Seton Hall has provided a much needed dimension to a Seton Hall team that really just loves to just go inside and for good reason. Yeah, I think when Miles Powell came in, he was definitely billed as like their top recruit for that class. Very high expectations. Residence sharpshooter could really be that guy to really add that three-point weapon, something they've been just longing for with Isaiah Whitehead gone. I didn't really think he was such a knockdown sharpshooter. But then he comes in freshman year, and he had his freshman struggles. But like you said, he really started picking up towards the end. But now we're really starting to see what he can do with a year of experience under his belt. Solid player. I think Villanova wins this one. I don't think Seton Hall will be running up to the cameras and flexing for all of national TV to see. I think Villanova wins pretty comfortably. Kempom has them as a 90% chance to win. And I think that's a pretty good spot to be in. I know earlier in the season, I said that Seton Hall was probably going to sweep Villanova, including one at home, but I am totally backtracking and taking all that back. Villanova is just playing too well. They play too well at home. They're basically automatic. You can easily bet on them for a win. I don't see a scare for Seton Hall. When it comes to the Rock, we'll talk about something else, but I just don't see it. I think Villanova wins. I'd like to see Omari Spellman take it to the experienced big man and Show him what he's got. Show him that he won't get pushed around as a redshirt freshman. And I think we're going to see signature games from Jalen Brunson and Dante DiVincenzo for sure. Yep, like I, I mentioned before, I, I think they come away victorious in this. Really hope Spellman has a great game. He had a not-so-good one against Marquette, and it's been kind of teetering on iffy performances lately. So I, I really hope he's he's able to you know get up for this game and – He's going to have a heck of a competition in front of him with Delgado and Sonogo uh, down low. So I, that'll, I'll definitely be looking out for that. And 
yeah, I agree. I think the rest of the roster will fill out nice. I think they'll, everyone will play fine up their abilities and come away with a win. Once again, tip-off is this Sunday at 12 p.m., and it'll be on Fox. So nice, nice mainstream channel action. Now that we've previewed the men's side, we're going to flip it over to the women's side. And they're playing Georgetown for the second time this season. And it's the beginning of a nice little homestand. Last time Villanova played Georgetown, they went down to McDonough Arena earlier this month. Now that I think about it, it's about two and a half weeks ago. It was on January 10th. Villanova just squeezed out a victory, beating Georgetown 60-58 to and included holding off a furious Hoya comeback at the very end. Chris, seen this Georgetown team before? What can we expect this time around? What would you like to see different or what would you like to see more of from Villanova's side in order to get the same result, another W, this Saturday? So, yeah, so Georgetown, since playing Villanova, lost their next two games after that Villanova game. They lost at St. John's and Seton Hall. They were actually able to beat Marquette in pretty handily at home, 85-58. to So that was a big win for them. Then they ended up losing to DePaul. But then their last two games, They've won against some of the middling competition, the Big East with at Butler and at Xavier. So this is their third road game in a row for Georgetown. I'd assume they're going to be pretty tired. They want to get home. They might be just looking forward to Seton Hall the next week and just want to get the heck out of there. So that might play into Villanova's hands. But yeah, what I would like to see more of is I, I want to see Villanova play complete game, kind of like how they did against Xavier over the weekend. They shot the lights out, but they were hitting everything from three, but they were also hitting everything from inside. They were going to the line. They had a great performance, great balanced performance all around. And I want to see more of that. I don't want to see, you know, the the typical one to two players putting up 18 to 20 and then the rest kind of just go from there. If they play the same way like they did against Georgetown last game, yeah, I know they won, but they might be in a little bit of trouble. They had a particularly, I remember they had a particularly bad game for the free throw line in the game. I think that we're going to have that now. It was 5 and 11, 5 of 11 from the line. So obviously that that won't fly. So hopefully they're able to play a more complete game because against Butler and the follow-up to the Xavier game, they really didn't. But also I want to make mention that they did play a great three-point defense against Georgetown last game where Georgetown shot only 2 of 13 from beyond the arc. So if they're able to do that, I think they should be in good shape. Yeah, last time against Georgetown, Adriana Hahn and Kelly J. were the other ones really cooking. Everyone else had a few buckets here and there, but it was largely inconsistent overall. I think for Villanova, they have to clamp down on Deanna White, who was recently named to the Big East honor roll. She's been playing fantastic for Georgetown all season long and pretty much throughout her whole career with the Hoyas. She isn't that efficient from on the floor, shooting just under 40% and an even worse 28.4 from deep. But she's one of those players that when she gets hot or when she takes over a game, you can't say the same about that anymore. She's very dangerous. She's one of the top scorers in the conference with 17 a game. After her, there's Michaela Venson, who is another nice scoring guard to complement White. She's pretty good. She's averaging just over 14 a game. And then after that, there's Cynthia Petke inside who can stretch the floor a little bit, but also add such a huge source of boards and just cleaning up the glass. I think Villanova should win this one. I don't see why they wouldn't. Georgetown's not particularly amazing, although they did have that nice upset win over Marquette, which they just completely blew them out of, at home. But overall, Georgetown, they just don't really seem that impressive. They, they pretty much feel like a one-person team with Deanna White. And even though she is a great two-way threat, 
she's definitely not enough to carry over them. She's not the type of player that she'll go like 10 for 11 on the floor. It'll be probably something along the lines of 7 for 21. So as while she can't take over games or while she can't get hot and then starts to heat up and then really dominate, sometimes it takes a little while to get that car started. And sometimes that costs Georgetown. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think they'll come away victorious. If you can get them on the road, you can get them at home. But I think something that we should mention is pretty important. Month of February, Villanova will be participating in the Play for K fundraiser where every free throw that Villanova makes during the month of February, they will chip in X amount of dollars to help fight cancer. We'll be rooting for Villanova to get to the free throw line a lot, make those free throws. But additionally, fans can also pledge to this foundation as well and can contribute however much they want. Yeah, and you can also pledge on behalf of Villanova. So for every Villanova-made free throw, you'll be able to donate for X, X amount of dollars to the fund as well. So I guess you can play along with the Lady Cats in helping fight cancer. Pretty good cause. And a pretty good idea for a fundraiser. I like it. I like it. Every pledge for every free throw. It gives everyone incentive to do well. Or to root for doing well. To root for <laughs> putting your hands up and, and getting a whoosh go every time. Fair enough. Yes. Yes, exactly. Once again, tip-off is this Saturday at 1 p.m. We will have Kayla Smith, not to be confused with Kaylee Smith, covering the action at Jake Nevin Fieldhouse. She will make her few hoops debut. So keep an eye out for that. That's it for our previews. Before we go, we want to give a couple shout-outs to Bridget Herlihy and Dante DiVincenzo for celebrating their birthdays yesterday. I could be wrong, but I think it might just be their big 21st birthdays for the both of them. But I, but it was their birthdays yesterday. So happy birthday to Bridget Herlihy and Dante DiVincenzo. Yes, happy 21st to both of them if it is their 21st birthday. Go go enjoy a legal beverage for, for the first time. After after the games, after the games, after the games. Oh, right, yes, 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 I forgot. Yes, those things have to still happen. Unfortunately, we had to cut off the mailman from delivering the mail to us so that I can reach this meeting. So no mail this time, but for the future, you can tweet at us at pod with your questions or anything you want us to discuss on the show. And we will gladly talk about it. We'll get to those next time. Or you can also leave your questions or anything you want to ask in the VU Hoops comment section for a podcast thread. And we'll get to those also. Before we go, this Sunday is the big game. Because the other term is, I guess, trademarked or whatever it is. I don't know why or how or why the NFL would do that. It's just evil. Uh, Yeah, it is. But the term big game annoys me even more. I'll just tag because <laughs> it's so generic. It's so generic, and it makes you sound like you don't know what you're talking about. It's just like just just say <laughs> like oh, it's so bad. But I I get why they have to do it. But like if I have to see like a Walmart commercial again and say get ready for the big game, like I I, I don't I don't think I'll be ever I, I can't do it anymore. We actually know that Mark Jackson, our current AD over at Philadelphia Athletics, used to actually be an assistant with Bill Belichick. Back in the day when he first came to New England? No, I had zero idea before you told me this. And that that's just crazy to think about. How probably the greatest football coach of our generation, maybe even all time, had... Was he an intern or of some sort? Broken phone. He, he, no, he was an assistant. He was an assistant. Oh, he's an assistant. Oh, yeah, even that's even more nuts. 
Yeah, that's crazy. So I'm guessing Belichick's first year was 99, I think. I think they drafted Brady then. I don't know if Mark Jackson worked with Brady. I wonder if he knew Tom Brady was going to blow up as big as he did. Well, apparently, if you talk to anyone who worked for the Patriots in 1999, that they all knew that Tom Brady would be an all-time great quarterback because they were just so sure that a sixth-round pick would do all this. Yeah, anyone who calls the Brady thing the greatest deal of all time, like, you get what they're going for, but at the same time, it was a six-round, like... <laughs> at that point, it's just drawing tickets out of a raffle or, like, participating in the lottery. It, it, it really is. And I'm not saying he's not a good quarterback. He, he obviously is, but I think Belichick had a lot to do with that. I, I feel that if Brady gets thrown to, like, the Browns or the Jets, I, I don't think he does what he does. So maybe, Or maybe, maybe he does. I don't think he wins five Super Bowls, potentially six this weekend. But I, I don't know. I don't think he's as good as, as he would be. I, th- I think Belichick's just a, a genius in that regard. He ran the perfect system for Tom Brady. And it's just crazy to think that a six-round pick has been able to do all this. Yeah, I don't think there's any executive that can convince me after looking at Tom Brady's pre-draft combine tape and looking at his 40-yard dash and all the other things he did and said, oh, yeah, that's going to be the next best thing. He's going to be better than Montana. There's just no way that they could have known after like they they've been broadcasting that tape all over ESPN and Fox Sports One, and I just look at it, and it was literally as bad as everyone made it sound. It was that bad. Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. Watching him run the forty is probably one of the greatest things. And then obviously there's there's the classic shot of him like basically in his underwear at the combine, and he looks like a scrawny dude, and you're just like, oh, like that could be literally anyone. They could have pulled someone off the street for all you know. And, and now he's married to a Brazilian supermodel with five Super Bowls. I personally like Brady. I know a lot of people hate him, but it's oh, like very him. interesting because, you know, normally, like, this would be, like, a cool underdog story. Gets drafted in the sixth round. Against all odds. Was about to be a salesman. Fights his way. Gets five Super Bowls. Marries a supermodel. May, might get six, but he's probably one of the most hated players in the NFL and plays for probably the most hated team in the NFL. So instead of being a nice, wonderful underdog story, it's just a rise to villainy by Tom Brady and his robot of a head coach, Bill Belichick. Uh, I guess they're both robots. The man doesn't eat strawberries. It's junk food to him. Junk food. If I eat strawberries, I feel pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. His diets are are absolutely insane. He drinks scenes amount of water on top of that. But like, he's like basically vegan at this point. Because, like, literally anything he eats, he considers unhealthy. But, hey, he's playing quarterback into his 40s and, and basically a statue back there. So he's, he's doing something right. So you upset a few listeners with your take on the Eagles making the Super Bowl. I did. I did um, see yeah, that. You got a second chance here. Uh, are you going to dial back on the statement, you know, root for the green or no? You know, you know, I've been thinking about this for a while. This is eerily, eerily similar to – the Giants teams that have beaten the Patriots in the past. They, a team that basically has a great defense with a good enough offense to do some damage with a quarterback that you might not expect it from. And it's basically the same model. So that concerns me a bit for the Patriots. And, you know, I'm going to do the little George Costanza model here. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pick the, the Eagles to win. I, I got them winning this. I say, say twenty four twenty. 
I'd say the Eagles are up two scores. Uh, Patriots go down. They get a touchdown or field goal, whatever you want. And then they get the ball back, and this is sets up for Brady comeback for the ages, and he falls short. And I think that's how the Eagles win, 24-20. But I will still be rooting for the Patriots. I kid you not. That was literally the score I gave my coworker yesterday. Oh, no, actually, no, no, no. I said 24-21. But I think we won on a Jake Elliott field goal. Big, big bang for the rookie. Big bang. Big three-pointer for the rookie. Yeah. I was thinking of that, giving it to him, too. I mean, he had that, what, 60-something yarder against the Giants as a walk-off earlier in the year. And that was when I liked the Eagles. <laughs> we do. We're out. <laughs> no, 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 no. Take that back. That was the last game I watched in its entirety. That was okay. the last. Okay. After that, it was just the second. It only became just the second half mm-hmm. of the Giants, and then I saw. And then I was like, you know what? That's it. I'm gonna give. The, I'm just gonna take a break. Came back, and then they gave up third and thirty-three, and I said, "Yep, that's that's about to be the last football playoff season." <laughs> that's when you knew. But yeah, that that Elliott field goal. I was rooting for the Eagles hard that game because I had my friend who was a Giants fan over. And I was trying to troll him because the Packers, the Packers didn't play till like 4.30. So I was like, oh, I can just rib him. Oh, this is going on. Little did I know I would be basically rooting against the Eagles from then on out. But, yeah, I I don't know. I just It just seems very eerily similar to the Giants teams of the past. And But it, it is different in the sense that, you know, the Giants were basically they, – they played on wild card weekend both times before going on to beat the Patriots. The, the Eagles are a one seed. And, yes, I know they're a quote-unquote underdogs, but you're still a one seed. I'm bleeding green for this weekend. I'm bleeding green for this weekend. I'm supporting the Eagles. I'm supporting Jay Wright's favorite team. I wish he could have gone to the Super Bowl, but Seton Hall is ruining all those plans for him to get a nice chartered plane out to Minnesota to enjoy the Super Bowl with his family and whoever else wants to go with him. I think Jay Wright's going to get a, enjoy a nice Seton Hall victory, and then he's going to come home and watch an Eagles Super Bowl victory. I'm bleeding green. Shout-outs to my former employer. Everyone, have a nice weekend, a nice safe Super Bowl weekend. Eat some wings, eat a lot of food, enjoy it, have some adult beverages, come back safe, and on Tuesday we'll have a new pod for you. If you haven't already, please subscribe on Podomatic, on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, and on Google Play. Check back at viewhoops.com throughout the weekend, and we'll have your updates, your previews, your recaps. For everything that's gone on in men's and women's hoops. Also, please follow VU Hoops on Twitter and on Instagram at VU Hoops. And you can follow me, Eugene Pay at Pay 5 And you can follow me, Chris Stanziel, at The Stansman on Twitter. Nova Nation, I'm hoping that this Sunday we can hear V for Villanova in the day. And then at nighttime, Fly Eagles Fly. Go Pats.